welcome Lori to Thank the you. Unpacking Depression podcast. So um, basically what what I wanted to do with this podcast, um, so just to introduce myself, my name is Eugenia McGuire, I'm a social worker, and um, depression is not something that I've really kind of experienced so much. It's not the, the orientation of my nervous system. <laughs> I'm more of a anxious, neurotic, alpha, if something is going wrong or, you know, my trauma response is just to control everything and um, get alarmed and get busy and just take it and take charge. So this whole thing about kind of the nervous system kind of depressing itself and that sort of thing, it's not really my tendency. So I wanted to know more about people whose nervous systems were kind of like that or what depression, I, I feel like I kind of know something about it, but I'm like, there's more to know for mm -hmm. me. And I want to hear people's stories and experiences and descriptions. And I want to hear their insights about what they, what sense they have made about why they are that way and anything else really that people want to share. So yeah. we'll just kind of go with it. But that's where I'm coming from is kind of this position of wanting to hear more and learn more and mm -hmm. unpack it. Yeah. And I heard Dr. Newfeld talk a bit about it and kind of have this like broad theoretical idea of what that, what it's all about. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't want to distinguish between like um, maybe like free or flowing or mild depression states versus like what would be the clinical state and those sorts of things too. Right. So. Welcome. I'll let you introduce yourself. Thank you. As well, I am Lori. I am also a social worker, uh, in a similar position right now as Eugenia, but just in a different office. Um, yeah, I have been practicing social work for I think four years now. Um, I have my bachelor in social work right now, and I'm working on my master's. Uh, and I am. I just really feel at home in the field. Mm. And and I really appreciate the focus on mental health and wellness, and it has thoroughly affected my journey, um, even with my own mental health mm -hmm. journey. Yeah, not that this the whole introduce yourself thing all the time, but <laughs> <laughs> I should really get better because we're asked it all the time, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's interesting because the field is a little bit like this opportunity to constantly have this mirror of everything, right? Yes. So where everything that you learn about other people, you're also learning about yourself. Yeah. Or like if you get yeah. to learn general things like theory and about human development, it's like this amazing opportunity to unpack everything. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've unpacked my own childhood and all yeah. of that. And all the while, well, it was something to do with work. Yeah. I didn't have to go off and like, you know, I was actually a carpet cleaner one time, but it's like, oh, go yeah. clean carpets for eight hours a day and then come home and do the research. It's like, right. I get to do the research as part of my job. So that's cool. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think when we really dig into that process, I think that's what makes us better social workers. Yeah. Right. Cause like, I remember one prof early on saying like, if you're asking your clients to do these things, you should be willing to do these things as well. So if Absolutely. you're asking your clients to like make these calls, if you're asking clients to be introspective, if you're asking clients to dig into different areas that are really painful in their lives, then you should be willing to do that too. Mm -hmm. And, and I really do think that that's what differentiates those social workers that are mm -hmm. like deep in the work and 
have this deep passion versus those that are searching for a cushy job, you know? Yeah. Or maybe have just like lost pieces of that. Yeah. Over time, yeah. you know? So where does the depression piece specifically fit into your life? What, when did you first kind of experience that or, yeah, so, or even know what that was? So similar to you, like I kind of first started learning it um, in school, like more in depth. Like I know that my mom had struggled when we were younger, but I was a bit too young to um, really conceptualize what that meant and what that was. Like but, with depression specifically? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, and so I first had my own experience with depressive symptoms or depression, um, at the end of my, uh, bachelor in social work. So it was a lot tied to burnout. Oh, um, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, it was definitely a journey to even be willing to say the word depression. Cause I think I had this fear of like this big piece of my mom's story that, um, has kind of like, hasn't been really unpacked a whole lot in our family. We have, like, we're not a feelings-talking family, uh, as a lot aren't. Um, but, yeah, so it was kind of this, like, shadow that was always behind, um, like, in the background of my early childhood. And I was nervous to admit anything about that. And um, so the, bur the burnout kind of started and just, like, really needing a break and not really knowing what rest was and how to rest. Um, and trying to even just think of like what were those early signs and I think it was a lot just sort of a loss of energy energy is something I've really noticed over the last like many years and even just since then like I don't think I've necessarily gotten back up to the peak that I have been at mm. and it's definitely fluctuated more and been lighter since then but um a lot of my tells is kind of in my energy level and in how much I feel able to pour into other people and um, into different activities and mm -hmm. and everything. Um, so but that's another thing that's come up for me as a question where I'm like, yeah. okay, fatigue or a lot, lack of energy, low energy is obviously, it seems like one symptom in this mm -hmm. phenomenon mm -hmm. that is, well, we're using a term from the disorder model, which is mm -hmm. not my paradigm anyway. Mm -hmm. So, but I think it's useful to say, here's this word that encapsulates these set of symptoms. Right. And so let's figure out what that's about. Um, low energy seems like maybe one piece. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to figure out is, my understanding is, or what I'm, what I'm thinking about right now anyway, is that depression is this emotional sort of, numbing out or repression where it's like this emotional piece whereas chronic fatigue or like adrenal fatigue burnout low energy like I've experienced that for sure like mm -hmm. fatigue where I was low energy but I never ever labeled it as depression mm -hmm. so I'm wondering like what what's the difference between like just low energy adrenal fatigue burnout that sort of thing where you just like exhausted yourself you worked too hard and now your body's trying to kind of communicate to you to rest versus what's more of like an emotional state of like maybe numbness or something like that. But. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think the depression and depressive symptoms, kind of like you're talking of like that numbing out was my response to that. Mm -hmm. And like you said something at the beginning of how you kind of um, 
are more like let's get busy let's kind of do things and control things and when you said that word control I'm like but isn't that also what I'm doing when I say no like I I can't do this like oh I can't reach out to friends I can't um I can't do these things that I know logically because of my training and everything I know logically that that would help but Mm. I do that to control and self-protect because if I don't let people in then I can control being hurt and yeah um and like people not being able to show up for me in the way that I need you know um I think a lot of the difference of just kind of it being fatigue versus what I defined as depression because I wasn't formally diagnosed or anything but um is just how it changed so many aspects of how I showed up Mm. to like friends and um even to my studies and just the way that I don't know, it kind of like was, uh, I don't know, a veil over my eyes where I was just kind of like taking a step after a step after a step. Oh, okay, um, okay. Like you were kind of emotionally unavailable. A lot of the time, yeah. Um, like I, I could lean into it at certain times, but my self-protection was to kind of remove that and remove the pieces that were the most vulnerable. Mm. Um, okay, that, that completely yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Of- how I think about what depression is mm-hmm. like that's kind of like numbing out to some degree of yeah everything is too overwhelming so it's this defense to try to numb out yeah um and I'm also thinking that my kind of reaction like how you said well there's these control pieces and control is probably a bad word because it implies that there's like intention intentionality or consciousness but it's Mm -hmm. not it's instinctive driven totally yeah um but I almost think like that those two reactions of the nervous system are two sides of the same coin like they're kind of just the opposite end of the spectrum yeah and then I'm I've always been wondering like why are many people suffering from depression and anxiety and that sort of alarm depression thing feels like that pendulum swing Mm -hmm. between like the nervous system kind of revs up to try to mm-hmm. it becomes alarmed it's like oh there's so many things must do the things mm-hmm. or like there's so many things wrong must fix the relationships yeah yeah yeah. like must get needs met and then it mm-hmm. swings to the other side so overwhelmed shut down shut down and it's almost like a gas and a brake pedal mm-hmm. yeah. where there's like it's just this way of trying to cope with like too much mm-hmm yeah. Mm-hmm. either too much vulnerability too much work too much whatever mm-hmm. something is overwhelming the system yeah 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 and I'm less personally familiar with anxiety at a high level I experience the normal range or what mm. I perceive as the normal range anyways yeah okay. I have a whole conversation on what is normal but you know <laughs> but maybe that's for another podcast <laughs> yeah for sure, for sure. but I know what you mean in yeah. terms of like we can't pathologize things because we need them Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it's just that when something gets to a point where it's so chronic and it's so every day and it's actually debilitating it's there it's hardwired to protect you but because you often like can't indulge it because survival like your system is telling you to rest but you're like but I can't rest I have an assignment to do mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. need to go to my job because there's bills to pay yeah 
And so it's like you're trying to fight against. Yeah. yeah. The mechanism is actually trying to help you to do what you should do, which is rest. Yeah. But then your other part of you is like, but wait. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not exactly sure where I learned this part, but I find now I work to fight against it a lot more than I used to, but I find that I lean into all or nothing thinking a lot. Mm. So it's either like, okay, well, I need to rest and I need to take like a year off work or I just can't rest and I just have to live in this state for the rest of my life, you know? And like, that's, those are definitely stronger when I'm feeling that exhaustion and like pulling back and isolating. Um, but like, that's something I have gone to a therapist on and off for many years through this process and found someone who I've really connected with. Um, and like, and she's trying to help me see, like, it doesn't have to be like a whole vacation to rest. It doesn't have to be a whole month to rest or whatever. It can be like rest in these little small pieces, totally. you know, that can, that can be effective, you know, and maybe it's sure. Maybe you do need that year off or however long, you know, month mm -hmm. off, year off. Um, but it can also be like, okay, well, I have this time on my lunch break. How am I going to lean into rest more at that time? Right. Yeah. And like shut, shut off my computer at work or like maybe remove myself and get some time away from people if I'm in the office or maybe get more yeah. connection if I'm working from home or something, Yeah, you know, exactly. but find those little pockets of time and, uh, and space of, of rest. And honoring what rest is to you. Totally. Right. Totally. Because like for me, like how you said, like, get away from people, you know, there was always this kind of like pressure, like you must go hang out in the lunchroom mm -hmm. or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. and it's like, but yet when people spend so much time together, they usually end up having superficial conversations. Mm -hmm. And that to me is very draining. Yes. And yes. so <laughs> I'm with you there. <laughs> if we're going to talk about getting your nails did and whatever else. <laughs> or the weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then that's actually like an hour's worth of work for me. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas totally. like if I sequester myself in my office and do whatever I want to do, I've just mm -hmm. rested for an hour. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually, I listened to this podcast that, um, I of course, I can't remember the name now, but um, this doctor was listing uh, seven different kind, seven different types of rest, and so it went through, like, oh, mental, cool. emotional, spiritual, uh, intellectual, um, creative, sensory, and there's one more, <laughs> don't know if I'll remember it, but... Um, I love that. Yeah, like, and it just, it really it has very recently reframed rest for me because I only listened to it a, maybe a month ago or so in just thinking like, cause when, what their point was when we think of rest, we often think of, Oh, well, I need to go, go take a nap, down. go lay yeah. down, get that physical <laughs> rest. Like, um, but there's so many different types of rest. And I, I do think of myself as a very creative person. And, uh, I do find that I feel better when I engage in that part. Um, but when I'm kind of like dipping down into exhaustion or depressive symptoms, um, it's so much harder to kind of work myself up to get there, um, yes. and, and engage in that and, uh, be less judgmental of myself if it doesn't look exactly the way I want it to or yes. something, you know, totally. um, and, and even sensory rest thinking of like how often we're on our phones and just like, even if it's just mindless scrolling, like, okay, yes. yeah, that could be perceived as rest. Cause it's maybe that intellectual rest or something, but, um, likely just, it's kind of more, more yeah, of a distraction. Than exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, it's gotten me to think quite a bit differently about, like, 
what kind of rest am I engaging in and what kind of rest might I need right now or that's really good yeah are you familiar with Gordon Hinkfeld's construct of rest no how he talks about rest no. so he talks about you can add this to the list of mm-hmm. forms of rest but it's kind of like the the ultimate rest is resting from the work of attachment hmm. so like resting like being able like being loved and accepted getting your attachment needs being loved and accepted unconditionally mm-hmm. where you know that your relationships are stable right, right? and that could mean even your role that even includes your relationships with people who are deceased mm. right like you can have a relationship with a deceased person right and you can have a relationship with god even mm-hmm. right like that can be your it could be like a crossover between spiritual and, mm-hmm. and this but like this Oh, I can take for granted that I have community, I have people, mm-hmm. I have my people, like they're right. there for me because like attachment is the preeminent need. So that form of rest will be like kind of the ultimate right. you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Social rest, that was the last one. Oh, there it <laughs> so, is. So there it's very it connected is. to that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. definitely through more of an attachment lens, which is a really cool way to frame it too. Totally. You know, because... Right? If you just leave it at social, then you think either hanging out with people or not hanging out with people and getting a break from people. But yeah. thinking from it from the attachment sense is well, and just really being cool. with people doesn't doesn't cut it. Totally, it's the quality of that relationship yeah. and if the you belonging feel like connection. You need to perform, yeah, and not be you can't even be yourself in order to be yeah. with those people. Then that's not that's going to activate you, right? Yeah. If, if you have an anxiety or like if your attachments aren't working, then of course these mechanisms to try to, you know alarm you or frustrate you or (laughs) yeah whatever pursue you know all these things or like ultimately if they're really not working just you know shut it down Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right that's like a root root problem right if you've got these symptoms what about the root so Mm -hmm. that's a whole other thing Mm -hmm. that i think think about right because that's the disorder model let's look at all these symptoms and then let's try to like superficially tinker with them either yeah, yeah, and chemistry wise, or... yeah, see if it fixes everything and hope it doesn't wreck more. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, or, or self care. Yeah, which some of that I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but some of it is, you know, superficial in comparison to yeah, do my relationships work? Yeah, totally, right. totally. Yeah, or are you even counting your relationships in self care? Right. Yeah, and like, and I get frustrated at the terminology of self care. Oh, it's like. I- don't like it. You can't <laughs> right? take care of yourself. Right. Well, and kind like, of, kind of putting it all on one person. Like, gosh, I need people to call me when I'm like doing my underfunctioning thing and like yes. not feeling like I can reach out. I need my friends to know, like, okay, Lori hasn't called in a while. Like, let me give her a call, you know? Exactly. And, and I need to know that about my friends too, you know, exactly. and those times to check in or, or those times to back off and just say, hey, like, you know where I am, you know? Yeah. Um, because, yeah, it just, it puts all the onus on one person, which is so much what the medical model does anyway, oh, right? Totally. It's like, well, you're the problem, so fix yourself, and then you can participate Pull yourself in society. yourself by your bootstraps. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It is a weird one in our society, because I may not be alerted to something gone wrong if my friend doesn't call me in six months, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But if we were living in a community mm-hmm. as, like, communal people and whatever, yeah. and I see so-and-so and they don't look so hot yeah I can say oh shoot mm-hmm. you know maybe they need help with their children or maybe you know yeah something's not okay over there yeah but yeah, yeah 
we don't really know the status of the yeah. state of our friends or you know we just assume they're fine or whatever yeah and don't they say the worst thing for community was the uh, building of attached garages right attached garages. You, you drive in and then you just oh. like walk right in you don't get to walk outside and like say hey neighbor and don't even see you don't even anyone. see them you know so if people are yeah. hiding away if they're depressed or yeah. not doing well they're like hiding their shame and just tucking themselves away yeah. and you, nobody yeah. even gets an no opportunity. One even the opportunity to see or to try see. and see yeah yeah that's so yeah. sad yeah, yeah. So the the first time you kind of identified that you had any sort of depression was in adulthood, like yeah. more recently, mm -hmm. and it was triggered by this like extreme overworking thing with school. Mm -hmm. Did you have like overworking tendencies in general, or was it just sort of like circumstantial? I think I think a lot of it was circumstantial. Like again, kind of going back to connection, like with breakdown of relationships, and um, right when I was at the end of high school my parents separated and oh, started going through a divorce process and um really kind of blew our family apart just learning some of the things that happened behind the scenes and um yeah uh so like there there's been a lot of like tumultuous relationship with my father mm. uh over the years and so like some of that was bubbling up right at that same time oh, okay. and um it was kind of right around then that I had cut off my relationship with him and so I know that that was a big part of it and also working in a non-psychologically safe workplace where I was definitely a minority being a female and there was not respect for females a whole heck of a lot um and it was just kind of like accepted as the culture and like they would put things in place if you asked for it but you had to like go up and ask for it and push against the entire group and oh. and risk and also have people judging you for not wanting that or is it kind of like a trades type of environment similar yeah. similar yeah like labor work um and yeah like just as in like porn magazines in the truck and and stuff and yeah um yeah. just demeaning women in conversation and just being stuck in the truck listening to it until you get to your work station and absorb it yeah. yeah yeah exactly and so Kind of all those things building together um yeah so like a lot piling on <laughs> totally so like a little bit of a straw that broke the camel's back it's coming from all angles and then yeah it was just too much yeah 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 and just kind of sent me into this space that um that took a really long time to get out of and i think i was hoping um like it kind of stuck with me a bit through my first job working in a school um and so I kind of got through a couple months because I got the job right out of university. And um, so I, I got to work for a couple months and kind of like get my foot in the door with the job and then have a couple months off. And I'm like, great, like this will be the time that I heal. And, and I still remember the time my therapist asked me like, how long do you think this is going to take? <laughs> I'm like, just the two months, it'll be great. And it did not take the two months. It took a couple of years until I was like, okay, yes, I feel I'm coming out of this. So it was like, definitely a process and and a lot too because I had like life was happening during the time too so like anytime there was a setback it felt even heavier than it would have if I had kind of more coping and functioning happening you know so um, can you kind of like paint a picture of like what it looked like like what would people from the outside kind of observe yeah I mean if there was a fly on the wall just like right. watching you <laughs> yeah yeah I think I think, like I said, the biggest thing that changed is like 
how I presented. So like I was a lot more extroverted mm -hmm. um, before and uh, I didn't, like I didn't even really like being alone. I always wanted to be with people and um, connecting and interacting and I don't know, playing games and stuff, right? Um, but because it was at a shift in, uh, just kind of in where my life was of going to university, then going into a job, a lot of the people in my life changed. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't see a changeover of that. So like to them, I think it looked very normal, right? Right. Uh, for those around me. But um, a lot of it was just how I presented and just that I didn't interact as much. And I didn't like, I kind of put the face on while I was at work mm -hmm. um, and while I was out at things that I had to be at. Um, but then I would like drop my shoulders when I, when I went alone right um so when you were like with people and stuff whereas you were normally kind of having like natural in impulse to like interact was it just like it just wasn't there or was it almost like a resistance like oh I have to like I think it kind of depended how I felt on the day like, like a lot of it did feel like faking it mm -hmm. um and just like it took like two or three times the energy to get to those um I don't know to get to those like chatting times and connection times mm -hmm. um and even like even just my willingness and ability to share how I was actually doing with my friends like usually I wouldn't have had as much of an issue with that but it felt like so much bigger of um of a hurdle to get over and and I think that's what honestly affected like how long it took me to heal was because I would go hang out with friends and I would constantly question like this was probably part of the exhaustion of hanging out with people was like constantly questioning like do I tell them how I'm actually doing or do I just kind of like keep going along kind of like you were saying earlier with the like I don't know surface level conversations it felt like all was that so there wasn't that deeper connection and um and not that people didn't care to know or anything I just was trying to self-protect and hold that yeah. in right and so um, because I wasn't sharing those, I would go and hang out with people thinking like before I was able to reflect back and kind of identify these things, I would think like, why do I feel so awful after these hangouts when like getting out and connecting is like supposed to be what's good for you and what's right. supposed to feel better. And, um, and I totally noticed that it's whenever I have something and I even can identify this sometimes in, in my life now when I have something that's like really difficult that's going on if I go and hang out with some of those core people right it's not everyone because yeah. I wouldn't automatically share with everyone kind of those deep struggles and everything but with those core people if I went and hung out with them and decided to self-protect and then I left I would feel even worse after because I didn't have that need met of yes someone holding that space and holding that hurt yeah. you right? weren't authentic exactly and then it's like did you ever feel like kind of like did you dissociate when when there was like this meeting but then the, the, the sharing didn't happen the connection didn't happen and then like how, or how did you like feel emotionally either at the time or afterwards like what kind of emotions were at the time I think there was a lot of fear like um, I've never had any like intense dissociation um, experiences or anything, but um, I think it was just a lot of the fear. Um, 
of sharing those things, right? And like a lot of it, it wasn't, will they be supportive, but will they be able to hold the space in the way that I need them to, right? You know, because um, I had some experiences through that time where I really wasn't doing well and the people who had seen like kind of the change only talked about it. They didn't talk to me about it. Um, so they talked about it outside and like, I found a lot, found it a lot of that after. Like kind um, of gossiping away or something? Yeah. Or like... Yeah. And like, and um, not giving me the benefit of the doubt. Like they're just like, Oh, well, like Lori, it's just not effective at this um, role anymore. Like I was a volunteer at, um, at an organization and, and I found out later that one person had tried to like get me kicked out of volunteering mm -hmm. there. And so like finding that out and like um, there were other challenges with the group dynamics, but um, when we kind of had like this big sit down, I kind of just like unleashed it all of like everyone who knows me enough could see that things were different and things were not going okay. And not that all of them would be the people I would share it with intensely, but um, no one came and asked like, Hey, what's going on? Like, are why okay? are things different? Are you okay? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was just like, yeah. And I, I remember in that whole kind of ordeal, there was um, one incident that happened that um, like I made a mistake one night and like was not, um, was not like where I was supposed to be and not kind of fulfilling my duties of uh, kind of being with the group. Um, uh, Cause I was going and I was sharing some difficult things with one of my closer friends and um and so I was called out about it and I kind of had just thrown on my hands and like walked away. Um, and so when like a follow-up conversation happened, again, that question didn't come of like, are you okay? Or like, why is this happening? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's like, that's a learning that I really take into my work of like, mm -hmm. I want to ask like, what's going on, mm -hmm. not just point out the behavior and say like, what's wrong with you, you know, Yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, like, but what's going on and like, are you okay? And it gives me, it gives me a different lens, like having gone through these things, but like, honestly, those experiences were so intense of like, just feeling that loneliness and like mm -hmm. those fears kind of coming to fruition of like, why I would question, do I want to share things and, or do I not? Right. right, right. Um, because people can't always be what you need. Yeah. And and like, that's, for me, that was a big fear when I had my depressive symptoms, mm -hmm. you know, was like, will this person be able to show up and be what I need? Mm -hmm. And a few of those times when I did put it out there, it, it was dropped and it was like, no, you just need to do better. People don't, you know, have much capacity generally speaking. Yeah. It's well, kind of like some grief. people at certain times. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when someone, when you lose someone and you, you're in grief. Mm -hmm. state and you find out really quickly that the capacity of people out there generally speaking because of our societal uh, misconceptions about grief and everything yeah. else and, or just lack of experience mm -hmm. uh, and just overall you know discomfort with emotion or <laughs> yes. discomfort with any sort of like discomfort not yeah. sunny emotion right? yeah like yeah totally. hi i'm not feeling well today and it's like oh, well, you're not supposed to say that. When I ask you, how are you, yeah. you're supposed to say fine or I'm great, how are you, or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. People just really don't know what to do with that. Like, there's yeah. just such a small 
disproportionate amount of the population that's actually like a tuned in where they yeah. can read and be like, Hey, like, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. also be able to hold that space and be like, Oh, I can mm -hmm. handle whatever emotion you have right now. Like, yeah. Right? And I think it even makes it hard to like, when you do have the people who are able to do that is at the moment where the person is ready to release that. Mm. Right. Cause like there, there were occasionally like people, there were people that did ask how I was doing, but maybe I just like wasn't ready to release that mm. at that moment, you know, and like that felt too much, too scary. Too vulnerable. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so like to find that, I don't know, beautiful, sweet spot of mm. someone who can hold that space and someone who's willing to yes. release that is thus makes it even harder. Yes. You yes, know? Yes, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So like what was kind of going on inside of you? emotionally like when you said you like weren't doing well right like was there like was there emotion you could identify like was it moving like was there frustration alarm like what was it or was it like just no feeling like numb yeah it wasn't quite numb like it was it's funny because like depressed just feels so like the feeling mm -hmm. that it was where like it was, it was sometimes in the sad realm or like, uh, um, I want a, I want a better word than sad. I always, uh, when people are like, I'm sad. I'm like, what's a better word for that? Like feeling miserable yeah. almost. Yeah. Like where your mood yeah. is just, like you just feel really kind of like, like yeah. miserable. Yeah. Yeah. It's shown much better in like physicality, which isn't great for a podcast, but, but you know. Like, <laughs> Is it grumpy as well? Like almost like it definitely got that way. World. It definitely yeah. got that way. Like, um, I for a while there, I lived with my mom, and um, when I when I did live with her, and she would like, I would get home from work and like just have kind of been on all day, and just really mm. needed my time to like drop the shoulders and be like, okay, I don't have to be on, I don't have to be happy, I don't have to mm. like put out that perception of like I'm doing great um because I didn't feel like I could go into a brand new job being like I feel depressed yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. like that's really off bounds you know <laughs> um but like when my mom would come and like greet me or ask me questions and things like I would just want nothing to do with it and so like that's definitely where grumpiness and like frustration came in um and I'm sure frustration on her part too because I wasn't able to share at the time like yeah it didn't feel like a space to share mm. um where I was at because I hadn't even fully identified it at mm. that point either right. um and or and I definitely had not processed it yeah. and like kind of become more okay with saying like I'm feeling depressed you know mm -hmm. um I'm having depressive symptoms uh but yeah so like it definitely happened with that and I um since then have lived alone and I find that's a really nice space mm. for me to be able to decide when I want people in mm. or don't. I mean, COVID kind of threw a bit mm. of a whirlwind in that because sometimes when I wanted people, I couldn't have them. But right, right, um, right. But yeah, so like there was definitely more frustration around like those that were closest to me if um, if they weren't kind of like giving me exactly what I wanted without saying it, which also isn't fair to put on the person, mm. right? <laughs> to not to be like just read my mind and know what I how much right. I want to talk, right? Um, yes, yes, not yes. fair, but that's yet yeah, the situation, you know, mm -hmm. um, of just kind of like being so 
quick to that frustration and anger. Um, yeah, and just like exhausted mm-hmm. was definitely another big feeling in there. And yeah, not really knowing what rest was or what helpful rest was, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and then just being like physically exhausted, emotionally, mentally, all of those things, mm-hmm. having to perform all day. Mm-hmm because you're going against your authentic state and feeling. Yeah. So you have to, that really takes a lot totally. of energy. Totally. And so just the exhaustion would, would lead to a lack of, you know, you just, when just when you're really, really tired, you yeah. lose your integrative function, mm-hmm. right? Like you just lose that ability to see nuance and stuff. And so it does like what you're saying about what you said earlier about, um, you get into the all or nothing thinking, mm-hmm. right? Like, of course, when you're really exhausted, it's like, oh, everything's wrong. And mm-hmm. uh. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And even those things that if you weren't, like if you were kind of more at a neutral space would like kind of help you feel way better. It doesn't get you up to that point. Mm-hmm. Or I would find that the the joy or the positive feelings or helpful feelings whatever you want to call them right Mm -hmm. uh would dissipate really quickly Mm. you know because that just kind of pulling towards that negative thinking would just come back so quickly Mm -hmm. yeah did you see inside out (laughs) okay i love that yeah um so in you know when riley um her sadness is on the hiatus of joy Mm -hmm. and they're trying Mm -hmm. to get back to the control center of the brain and she doesn't have sadness access to sadness and then you see her control panel go completely black so my interpretation of that was that her because she didn't have access to sadness her she wasn't able to adapt and release and go on the sine wave journey of you know, going yeah. down into the sadness because mm-hmm. if something doesn't work, you can't change it. You have no choice other than to grieve the loss of it and move yeah. through. Yeah. And yeah. so this is, I'm kind of bouncing my theory of, well, it's actually more like Gordon's theory, which I agree with, mm-hmm. um, of how I make sense of depression. I want to kind of like bounce it off you and see if you kind of mm-hmm. relate to it or agree with it. And so... Her control panel went black, symbolizing the shutting down. So so Gordon talks about how ordinarily like a healthy emotional um, state would be to be like a sign, right? Like to fully feel the emotions and then you come out the other side. Mm-hmm. But that when we become depressed, it's a shutting down. So not only does that sine wave flatten, mm-hmm. so there's like a, a lessening of affect. So yeah. everything kind of numbs out. And so the, the joy isn't going to be as, as right. high. The, yeah. You're not going to feel things as much, but also that a person can be going down and then because of their own resistance and not turning toward the emotion and going through deeply and like welcoming it and going into it fully, mm-hmm. that they get lodged somewhere down in here. And they kind of are trying to scramble back up because they're like grasping for the joy, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to like, bring it in by whatever means, right? Yeah, yeah. Conjuring it up as opposed to letting it kind of be the natural um, byproduct of having gone through difficult emotions. Mm -hmm. And so 
kind of get stuck, like lodged somewhere in here, and then rather than going deeper into it, the cultural programming or whatever messaging is to try to like scramble back up, and then it's really, you know, just think positive, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is like kind of like my. I've shared some other ideas too that I'm like trying to wrap my head around it. Mm -hmm. This is like kind of the framework. Um, but he's also kind of like off the cuff said, but clinical depression is different. And I'll, like, he's never unpacked that. So I'm like, well, right. how, <laughs> how is it that different? Yeah. Or like, I'm trying to make sense of this. So and like, then what is it if it is different? Yeah, you know? it's almost, yeah, yeah. Like, almost like he's saying like, so there's, I also love Carla McLaren's work too, how she says like, there's, you know, gradients of emotion. Um, mm -hmm. We often think of the emotion as this like really intense version of it, but that's at a free flowing state in a very, very um, sort of like, like anger in a very, very low state would be like this, like little impulse that like causes you to put up your boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Not like, I'm going to get raging mad at you and punch you in the face or something. Right, right. But like, like the free flowing emotions, right? So I think he's trying to say like, I'm not making light of a really, really, really intense situation where someone is so depressed mm. that they're like bedridden or something like, but I'm sure it must follow along the same theoretical lines mm. in a way. Like I always just have this idea that the turning toward is the only way through. Mm -hmm. um, but I kind of want to know like, how people got out like is it is it right. just healing like these are just these are just wounds in the same way like everything is reduced to you know you have a wound you didn't process the emotion you didn't process it and then you move through it right like was there just this yeah. pile up of wounds and you just work through them or like how did you get to the other side yeah yeah like first I want to just kind of comment on that like mm. I don't know the, the sine wave sine wave thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> um because like I remember talking to my therapist about it and uh like we had talked about how like people have kind of like that different capacity for emotion where sometimes like their their highs and lows are not too far off of that median mm. but other time like other people have like these really intense emotions where it's like super high off medium and super like in the positive and super like yes. deep on the low right and I remember just having this like visualization of my depression just being like that top was knocked off. So it didn't make it both lower and get oh. to that kind of numb state for myself. It really just kind of like, it was large to begin with, but then it just knocked that top off. So it like had this cap where like, I couldn't get past um, like certain points of joy. It wouldn't like, like I said, they wouldn't stick around long if like those little pieces did come. Mm, and, yeah. but like I was, unable to get kind of past this and like and I even remember explaining to her once like it had this very physical sensation of just like this heavy rock on my chest mm. um because I was of course getting into social work where they're like how does it feel in your body mm. you know and like asking some of those questions um and like I would I would have that kind of like just consistent feeling um and with moving to healing <sighs> trying to think of like what the what the process was I think I think a lot was, I think a big piece for me was learning about rest and like, what does that mean? And like, what does helpful rest mean? And and I think a lot of that came from the burnout side of mm. the depression or the depressive symptoms, whatever you want to call them. Um, 
but also I think a big part of the healing came from an acceptance of just like getting it in me. Mm. right and and that's maybe where like that positive side of labeling mm. diagnoses can come in you know yes sure. um although maybe I felt the need maybe I needed to go through that because we have that full labeling system right but I think because I was so scared of getting depression and calling it depression mm. that was something that was really holding me back and so that was something that I had to work through um and then so it's kind of liberating to just be like Yes, this is what it is. Yeah, and yeah. and not having that fear of it because like the more I feared it, the more I just like shrunk back yes. away from everything, not just the label. Yeah, right. Yes, and yes. so I think that was I think that was a big piece of like being able to walk forward and walk through it. Um, so you embraced it. You turned yeah. toward it. Yeah. Like, okay, fine. I have yeah. this thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fine. Okay, now what do I do? You know, you know, you spend a summer <laughs> sewing and listening to Harry Potter audiobooks. <laughs> you know, that was one of my big things of like I don't know feeling feeling okay in my skin was spending a summer between school years doing that um that's awesome yeah were you sewing Harry Potter things no no (laughs) no just sewing random projects and um I I took my hand at sewing a weighted blanket so yeah yeah they're quite easy like theoretically they're more annoying because you're just like tired of lifting the thing but um yeah that's an interesting like uh physical like external thing lifting Mm -hmm. is heavy weight Mm -hmm. it's almost like a external version of what's inside this heaviness yeah yeah that's pretty cool yeah but i'm going like another piece i think of the healing was even just that identification that happened a fair bit later of of that connection thing where when I go out and I don't share how I'm authentically feeling and authentically doing with friends that I know can hold the space for it or most of the time can hold the space for it. So like they're the safest people to do that with. When I don't do that, I say no to connection and I go into myself, but like learning that and therefore having that knowledge and pushing through that and just saying like, okay, well, like, and or even saying like if I didn't share it with that friend okay that means that I need to like hang out with a different friend and yes. and release that somewhere yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah. like even if I didn't lean into the courage to do that with that friend mm-hmm. at that time but just realizing the importance of that connection yeah right um it's like a lesson like yeah it taught you like you have to be authentic in order to yeah survive otherwise yeah yeah your system can react or tell you mm-hmm. you know can't do that. yeah yeah and it's hard when you're fighting against that like internal system that's telling you to like that this is the way to be safe right mm-hmm. is to pull back and draw back and isolate yes. but you're pushing against that because that's mm-hmm. that's what's holding you there yeah right yes, yes, yes. yeah that makes yeah. Sense. yeah 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 just to sort of duck and cover self-protection yeah 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 and that's yeah that's that's what it seems like the depressive mechanism is all about. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like this version of protection, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like hide, curl up, like go, yeah, yeah. hunker down, yeah, like go into rem- remissive state almost, yeah, like just yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it it kind of I don't know puts you in such a small space that you can't release the things. Yes. in the way that would be the most helpful 
Yes. You know, or at least that was my experience. It's not sustainable for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You can do it for a short time, but as soon as you do it for too long or in too many areas of your life, you don't have that release valve. Mm -hmm. You're just pressure cooker ready to explode. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else I was asking. So with um with your mom, of course, you're as much as possible. But um when did you kind of were you able to identify that or use the label that she was depressed or did she ever say that or yeah it was actually my parents that more identified it because like I um I don't know it's kind of always put as this elusive thing in the background of like or like put in the past um of like oh well she was depressed when you were like really young and so that affected things and um when and what how old were you when they said this probably like three to eight kind of thing um and so like she was depressed or when they said it to you when she was oh yeah yeah did they say is this an adult conversation or is this something that you're talking about kind of like like... a bit throughout but talked about but not necessarily explained or explored just sort of like brushed yeah exactly she was was depressed depressed and yeah okay yeah that was the language that was used yeah so you weren't sure what it meant no, and like, and I didn't know, like, well, what does that mean for now? What does that mean for, like, I don't know, the future? Like, what effect did that have on, on this, you know? And like, and I know that um, part of her story was using medication, but it really negatively impacted her, specifically in memory. Oh. Um, and so, like, it has been in, like an Forever? ongoing effect. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so she she doesn't have a great memory now um and it was a side effect it was like a one in hundred thousand side effect um that did affect her this way on this medication and so like I know that that also has its like weaving in Mm -hmm. of my story because like that was talked about so connected to the depression medication that has had like an impact on like when I reflect on how do I think about medication and Mm -hmm. um how do I also not let this affect how I um, work with people in the field, right? Mm-hmm. How do I not be like, well, no, medication's bad because it can do bad things, you know? And not just like jump to that and jump to my experience, but like kind of be open, but also honor that part of my mom's yeah. story and our family's story. Um, so how do yeah. you feel about medication? Oh. I'm just going to open the door for a yeah, sure. cat. <laughs> 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 okay. Yeah, so what is your overarching idea about pharmacological medication? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like you're asking this at a funny time and in the fact that a couple of courses ago in my master's we were kind of, I don't know, pointing out some things in the medical model of pharmaceuticals and the DSM and how it's made by people who have solid ties to the pharmaceutical industry and so like oh, yeah. it just it feels like this very unfair system that I'm like no yeah so yeah. I I definitely lean more towards being annoyed by the mm. system mm-hmm. you know but I also like have experienced and seen people close to me impacted very positively with medication and so it's definitely a journey I'm still on and like I don't know if I necessarily have a this is my mm-hmm 
theoretical understanding and my stance on medication because like I'm I'm really trying to unravel like what does that mean and even the whole like medical model thing of like how much we lean into this because it has done positive things but we also can't turn a blind eye to the the pieces that it isn't isn't positive in you know like when when money is running things yeah. you know and like and that's the like deep rooted goal of things um and like i am thankful that we have universal health care so we don't have all of the same challenges as the states has mm-hmm. with like i don't know pharmaceutical sales people mm-hmm. in the same way you know and um just adds on your average tv show of medications you know mm-hmm. but those commercials are so fun i know i know <laughs> takes half of the commercial to say that so do you feel yeah. like your mom um that there was an informed consent process like she was given the opportunity to explore properly the potential side effects or was it just sort of like this top-down hierarchical power sort of like i'm this doctor i'm this authority person here's this prescription and and then she just kind of took it and then all of a sudden was blindsided by the side effects yeah truly i don't know mm-hmm. um because we haven't necessarily unpacked this together right um or maybe she doesn't remember and, and maybe she doesn't right. remember yeah. and maybe she doesn't know and um and doesn't have the same view of the medical model that i'm questioning now you know yeah. um so i'm i'm not sure enough to say but um i definitely have seen that happen with um different situations of that like i don't know all-knowing professional mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter what the side effects are and mm-hmm. you know this is just the thing to do and stuff and it it does it does make me nervous you know mm-hmm. um and even like when when diagnoses are just thrown around oh, you know totally. like it just it makes me so nervous in so many ways despite even my positive experience of labeling something right yes but again i question is that just because of the system mm-hmm. i was in and like i was scared of the label so it was mm-hmm. more addressing the fear not specifically the label part yeah right it was more addressing that fear of of it you know yeah it can definitely go either way or both ways with it could be so empowering to just have this validation that like hey there is something going on with you that is a challenge it's not just that you're ineffective or you're defective mm-hmm. even though the label sometimes can apply you're defective yeah but yeah it, it can also be like here's a validation of this struggle you yeah. actually have you know depression or like there's a reason why you can't just pull yourself up by your bootstraps or whatever yeah. right like, yeah yeah you're not just this person who's a failure because you can't like you just can't do it do you're lazy or you're, things, or, yeah, yeah. you're lazy or yeah whatever, yeah yeah right it can be like extremely liberating yeah but it can also be like depending on how it's presented as well it can be yeah. like hey guess what you're sick your brain is broken yeah and you're going to be that way for the rest of your life so here's some pharmaceutical drugs to numb yeah. out you're like, but wait i'm already numb why are you numbing me out yeah 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 right <laughs> right yeah that's what i don't get about the medication yeah because i'm like like because gordon you know says like there's no pill you can take to grow you up mm-hmm. if there's a problem of human development and so and likewise there's no pill that you can take that will make a wound go away mm-hmm. you can't do emotional processing with a pill 
you're not getting to any root causes, and yet we assume that that's the way it works because often pills are given in a curative way. Mm-hmm. You have oh, that, that's the assumption. Addition. Yeah. And that's like the... You have an infection. Yeah. You have something to kill the infection, antibiotic, and then you're cured. But yeah. it's not like that. Yeah. It's real. It's a lot more symptom focused. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But that's not necessarily something that we outwardly talk about. No. You know, it's only exactly. when you kind of dig into like what's underneath this medical model that exactly. that you start like really questioning those things. But it's so funny because like even going through this kind of like bigger questioning of the medical model, I'm like, who can I like put these things out to? Because like I kind of had this like whole mental crisis of like, what do I believe? What oh, <laughs> I don't know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like just un unpacking like what that all means for what our world puts out and everything, and um and like just how deeply dependent and trusting we are of the medical model, mm-hmm. um and like who who can who can take this conversation on and who also will I not be offending if I'm like, but medications just treat symptoms and like, are they actually what we need yeah, to yeah, offend exactly. the certain medication, right? And and finds it very helpful. Exactly. You know, like I I find that hard sometimes. <laughs> I kind of looked at it as like before I was way more like fundamentalist about it, where I was like, medication is of no use. And now right, it's right. way more nuanced where yeah. I feel like the way society is, it's like not even 80 20 a lot more where it's like here's the medical model and then here's this other conversation that people are finally having about getting to the root cause or understanding things Mm -hmm. whereas i would like flip that flip that ratio where i like don't throw the baby out with the bath water sometimes medication is useful or like can be a bridge or can get someone through yeah but we should know what we should know what it is yeah like people yeah. should be given the information that it's not curative. Yeah. That it is symptom management and that there are these side effects yeah. and that you know I think like a lot of times it's highly unethical when you're giving kids methamphetamines, stimulant yeah. medication to get them to pay attention. Yeah. Where because I'm very idealistic and I look at it as why are you trying to get a kid to conform? Yeah. When in actuality it's the adults because you're compromising their development right um right and yeah when it's the adults role to actually come in and try to help change the conditions of the environment so that the child can adapt without needing to stimulate them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like there's a reason why they're not paying attention yeah right yeah but i mean that's a whole other conversation yeah matter. but you know but there's totally times where it's like if the kid is actually like so unlikable because they're so distracted because their attention is so scattered mm-hmm. that they're so unlikable that the adults in their environment in their world sadly um, mm-hmm. are not going to meet their attachment needs as well as if you make the child likable but to me that's like that's so sad to yeah. try to put a kid in a chemical straitjacket yeah so that they're likable yeah that's sad and it's heartbreaking and palatable right totally <laughs> totally because like what else do we say to kids oh well, like you be you like be your best self be individual like live your dreams and like run after your dreams but but in these conforms of society <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you know and it's like yeah yeah i i think that's Perfect. what has really changed me the most with social work is like just viewing things differently and um i don't know really just 
looking at a person as a person and like knowing that there are reasons why people act the way they do. So like when a client yells at me across the table, it's not anything to do with me or like my ability to be a social worker, my services, my whatever. It's because they are in an extremely tough spot in life. Right. And um, they've been pushed around one too many times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, that's what I found so challenging working in a school was like being the one, well, one of, or I should say one of few, because like there are some teachers that come from a similar standpoint, but they don't have the same training. Right. But to be that, like one of those few callers of saying like, Hey, like, can we take a step back and think of like, why is little Timmy doing what mm-hmm. he's doing? Yeah. rather than just saying like oh well he's being disruptive so like how do we fix his behavior like okay yeah you know and like and there there were some times that the school system was really good at like coming up with like helpful solutions and like meeting the child's needs but there were other times and very often I think it happened like what would the side that it leaned to mm-hmm. depended on how the adult was functioning yes right and so if the adults were under stress because budgets were getting cut and like everyone was getting their um their assignment for next year and so like everyone was really stressed okay well then we weren't really yeah. focusing on Timmy. exactly exactly <laughs> exactly you know um which which I find really hard to say like oh well, my my or the system's ability to meet this kid or this person where they're at is so dependent on my functioning and like it makes sense right like because if I'm not functioning well like I can't put the same work out into the world you know and so like it makes sense but it it's frustrating because and I think I have such a heart for kids and vulnerable populations for this because they they get the shit end of the stick all the time and they get the extra shit end of the stick when we're not functioning well those who are in positions of power exactly you know most vulnerable ones are the ones who yeah yeah they're gonna have to absorb all of have that, to absorb or, all that. Or their needs are just so much yeah they're 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 sensitive they're the ones who kind of need that extension of yeah care and connection and all of that and, yeah. and that compassion yeah. and understanding and like meeting them where they're at and not taking the things they do personally you know like exactly yeah, yeah. behavior is communication you know totally. yeah yeah i feel like um this is something they didn't teach us in social work but i it's something that i just believe in and wish that people would teach in social work is just about the ultimate protection just to be to not to come up against someone Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. like if somebody is having all these challenges and someone defends the oppressive systems or whatever Mm -hmm. when it comes to that defense then they they put themselves in a position where they're now against yeah and like if I ever was to imagine somebody lashing out it would be out of frustration and if you take on that persona of I am for and with and an embodiment of these oppressive systems mm-hmm. which a lot of people do like that's their way yeah. of surviving as professionals to be like justifying how these programs work when yeah. you can look at them and say they're very very oppressive yeah right yeah and yeah. like there's a lot of things wrong and I know you don't have the power to change but like that's kind of their way of surviving and mm-hmm. and it's like you're really putting yourself in a lot of danger like a lot no mm-hmm. wonder a lot of these places that have oppressive programs have like bulletproof yeah. you know like yeah. walls in between yeah. the workers and the, yeah. the people and yet you and I we're going into people's homes and mm-hmm. the, the complete 
complete opposite of a bulletproof, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 divider between yeah. us, right? Where you have to like be on their side in mm-hmm. order to be safe. Yeah, if, if you're on someone's side, you're safe, pretty much. I mean, there's some people who are just gonna, you know, lose it. The, the Richard Ramirez's of the <laughs> world are. You know, you can't get on Richard Ramirez. Do you know who Richard Ramirez is? I don't. I'm he's sorry. Like, he, so he was a serial killer whose name was the Night Stalker. Okay. He's like one of the like really, really scariest serial killers of all time. Right. Because he just had like zero empathy. Like just right. such a traumatic childhood and history. Right. Like right. just, just nothing. Mm-hmm. Like nobody's home kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? Mm-hmm. You can't draw out anything, feel for people. He was just right. coming for people. Like just right. nothing in there. Right. So like, you know, you can't get on Richard Ramirez's side. He's right. going to hurt people. Yeah. Yeah. That's not most people. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think, I think once we have that, like kind of coming up against and like op- opposing, um, especially the vulnerable population, it like, I feel like that's what really continues the stigmatization of them as well, mm-hmm. you know, because then it's like, okay, well, do you see how they yelled at me or how they like lunged towards yeah. me? Well, that's why I have to be scared. And that's why I have to be scared of all of them. Yeah. You know? And like, I won't say I'm perfect at this. Cause like, you know, I'm, I'm on my so own journey. I'm like trying to get their crap together. Yeah. And, like, yeah. And like, please do don't yell at me and like stuff. make me feel physically unsafe, you know? <laughs> but, um, but I feel like, like you said, those systems that are oppressive, they, they just so feed into that. And, and, and just make it so much worse and escalate everything, you know, exactly. where... I'm not going to sit here and defend Alberta Works. Oh, my gosh. Right? <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. I'll be, I'll be short and sweet with them, but... Sorry. Yeah. They don't pay me to defend Oh, them. my like... gosh. Yeah. No, they're the ones that I'm definitely more... Most, like... Yeah, no, they stink. They suck. Most workers suck there. <laughs> yeah. I, I try yeah. to say this you know don't take any of this personally like this yeah. is not a yeah. personal thing this is a very oppressive system yeah know? yeah yeah with no movability yeah you know in a helpful direction yeah yeah oh i know and then the community workers like us who are like helping people navigate <laughs> yeah <laughs> are the ones who have to be the bearer of yeah 100 bigger larger government programs and it's like I'm not mm-hmm. defending that one iota. Mm-hmm. You do not pay me enough to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I, I like be putting myself at risk. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And and not meeting the client where they're at and they're like Yes. Exactly. Desire to pull their hair out at the at the frustration of the system, you know? And exactly. Um I do find that one of the hardest parts of the job oh, is yes. like I wish I had more to give you. Yes. You know, I wish I had more resources that were helpful. I don't have and literal things for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry I don't have money. And, like, please don't get mad that I don't have money for you, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, like, I really wish that these programs were there, I don't know, better to meet people where they're at. And, yeah. like, more trauma-informed. And, yes. like, even yes. just some of the yes. ways I've heard people speak to clients. Exactly. You I know? mean, you only have what resources you have, but you don't yeah. have to be, like, shitty shitty asshole yeah about it. <laughs> yeah and like I feel a like a smidgen better when they talk to me the same way but I feel even yes. worse when they talk to me with respect and to the client with yes like 
yeah. sustain. At least you know? when they treat you like crap, and you're like, okay, well, it's well, not at least like... it's not, it's not a, <laughs> it's just you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but those those people are also trying to cope. In it's like the people who are working in in prisons and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, like their trauma responses are through the roof trying to live in those under those circumstances day mm-hmm. after day after day mm-hmm. i don't think they enjoy being the like the upper to worst workers. yeah they don't enjoy being that bearer of horrible no. news and no. dealing with people who are in a really bad jam like you you know yeah. you're at the lowest point of the low if you're you don't have any income and yeah you're needing to survive off eight hundred dollars a month and yeah like, yeah that's not good yeah that's not good for anybody yeah. it's not good for the worker there are stress and yeah I, I can't even imagine the rate of people on like Stressful. disability and yeah. stuff in yeah. our organization right yeah like I don't want that job no 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 I'm like could I go there and make better no no I don't want it. I'm not taking that on I don't even know if I could tolerate yeah being oh. there, like short term like even for like a practicum or something I think no. I'd just be like ah. Well, they'd be mad because I'd be giving away probably more money than they'd want me to, but (laughs) I'd be like, ah, you know. Everybody's fleeing domestic violence. Yeah, exactly. $1,000 for you. Yeah. That's what frustrates me, though, is that, like, there is so much, like, despite them saying that everything's policy-driven, there is so much, like, individual worker discretion. Right, right. You know? Yes. Yeah, there are definitely some discretion there. Yeah, yeah. I almost had someone... I yeah. Should I let the bird out? Sure. <laughs> sure, I'll just hide. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I feel like it wants to come out now. I'm going to open the door. I'm going to move out of the path to the door. <laughs> Poor little thing. Yeah. Okay, go to the window. <laughs> oh, don't go that way. Yes! Woo! Good job! Direct line. There we go. That, that bird is happy and we're safer now. <laughs> there yes no kidding <laughs> um anyway that's a that's a fun little you know um tangent but i don't know how long we've been recording for um but uh was there anything else that you were kind of thinking about or um in terms of depression that you feel like could help offer some insight to me and others and that just to like just really there's also that piece about like the clinical versus or like let's say severe versus not so severe Mm -hmm. and is it okay to use that same language because every emotion has these gradients yeah yeah some people don't like it when people have mild symptoms and are using the word and then they're like well it's like implying that my symptoms aren't like I can't get out yeah. of bed yeah and that's not the same as your like I feel down-ish kind of thing yeah 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 I I don't know if there's like a full good answer to that and because like I think I think one of the biggest challenges is that everybody needs something different like you kind of hit the nail on the head there where like some people are okay with using those different mm-hmm. like like using the same word for the mm-hmm. gradient and others are really not right mm-hmm. um but maybe even just like getting more like how are you doing like what's going on for you mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. kind of that digging into that individual's experience mm-hmm. like regardless of what words they want to use 
mm-hmm. you know um like I mean even I kind of get into the like oh I don't want to use this this word incorrectly because I don't want to diminish other people's but yeah. but I also I also think sometimes we can hide behind that too where I can say like oh well and maybe not specifically in this depression sense for myself but like I'll hide behind things and say like oh well because I don't have it as bad as someone else then I can't use that but that's not really serving because that's comparing and that's you're not helpful exactly yeah exactly so maybe it is more towards getting to that like what's going on for you right now and and what does that word mean to you Yeah, yeah you know so like whoever uses the word depression does that mean like I was clinically diagnosed with depression okay cool that's one piece of the puzzle but what does that actually mean for you you know like conversations even like we're having like this yeah yeah. you know Um, and using the word actually kind of like normalizes it which is mm -hmm. is good because Mm -hmm. then it's like stigma reduction if we if we can say that this experience is within the range of the human experience Mm -hmm. it's not like you over there with depression whose brain is broken yeah yeah right it's like actually that mechanism is within all of us because mm-hmm. your brain is trying to shut you down because you're too overwhelmed. Yeah. This is not a broken brain. This is a brain that is trying to protect the yeah. organism. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So it normalizes it, but then it also kind of makes everyone drop. Oh, I'm so depressed. Oh, I'm so depressed. And then meanwhile, there's yeah. this person over here who like who well, took them three death. months to like a year to say like I'm clinically depressed to mm-hmm. their close group and it it doesn't quite have the same meaning. Yeah. 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 Even exactly. though it is a different experience. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Same with anxiety. Right? Yeah. Too. Absolutely. Oh, I'm anxious. Oh, yeah. I have so I have anxiety, and then you yeah. know, like there's people who have very, very, very debilitating anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, how do we honor honor those people's experience? Yeah. And um, also normalize. The experience bring it into the realm of like everyone has some degree of these things happening. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's it's the age old question, you know? Yeah. There's yeah. probably no right answer, but it's just a matter of like it's very nuanced and paradoxical mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. But I'm just Yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around all of it. I think part of the problem is where I feel like, hmm, why don't I fully get this is because it's a clashing of paradigms, right? Like my paradigm is that attachment-based developmental paradigm. The depression thing is the DSM pathologizing mm-hmm. symptom-based. So I'm taking a word from there and saying like, let's make sense of it. And to me, it just seems like Hmm. One of many mechanisms um, that completely makes sense in the context of overwhelming, traumatic experiences, mm-hmm. whatnot. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I'm overthinking it. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought of it through that lens yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. But so it's in terms of like the therapy that you did, mm-hmm. um, did you do any therapy related to? resolving wounds or trauma or anything like that to try to get to some root level issue of things bothering you that sort of stuff yeah so like I didn't necessarily go as much into like childhood things like a lot of it was more like present things but I'd say I did get to like root things 
in the sense of like how do I view things and um like what's what are the lenses that I'm kind of automatically looking through and how do I change those and reframe things and um yeah like um my my therapist one of her kind of main um therapies is uh CBT okay. and so like it's a lot around the thought behaviors and um feelings and stuff and kind of like unpacking those so it got to root things in that sense um less so the kind of like going back into my childhood and okay. um like I've done my own personal reflections on that but less therapy around that so a lot of it was unpacking like kind of how I default view the world or because like one of the big things like I said that came out was that all or nothing thinking and like mm -hmm. how do we say like okay well there's maybe a bit more space in there for other mm -hmm. things you know yeah. So when you kind of like brought awareness to some of the feelings in that, did it help you to make space for those feelings to yeah. be felt and stuff like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I think some of that was to do with my therapist. Some of that was to do with like my social work training of like, just even learning how to reflect better and become more self-aware. Um, and then <laughs> she often would scratch and scratch and may or may not have Are you okay with the door opening? Yeah, okay. Well that that makes sense. I mean we don't necessarily need to read the story of what has happened, but if we can feel the feelings then that's Mm -hmm. and like and we would dig into stories but I think I don't know I haven't yet found it super necessary mm -hmm. in therapy to to go through those um but I am a highly reflective person mm -hmm. I'm learning I I'm learning not everybody else thinks the same way <laughs> um good thing to learn but um <laughs> yeah so like I I do definitely like reflect on those things and like very much through social work lenses of like mm -hmm. power imbalances and like why do I grasp for things so quickly and like when I try and hold things close and like I don't know hunker down and you know stay within myself and yeah so I think of those kind of dynamic things mm -hmm. from growing up but mm -hmm. what's yeah. kind of also cool about your story that's occurring to me is just that your inner wisdom and body and emotions and instincts communicated something to you mm -hmm. where they were like like tell like it's too much what mm -hmm. what you've experienced is too overwhelming mm -hmm. and like shut out the world mm -hmm. in a way right like just shut it down shut it out and you you responded to that mm -hmm. in a way like you listened yeah you know yeah. like you listen to your own inner wisdom mm -hmm. like do you think you would do that more in the future i i definitely well? do that more yeah, like yeah. even now even now like um i i do my best when i lean into those emotions and i really kind of figure out like what's going on in my body what like what are these feelings kind of trying to tell me and and i do remember learning one thing um in the realm of self-compassion um of just reframing like when those fear things try and like hold me back or like those gremlins come in and like 
you're, you have a ton of negative self-talk, those, I, I really like the reframing of those voices and those um, hesitations and those fears are trying to protect you, yeah. but sometimes you don't need protecting from them. So to say like, thank you. Yeah. I'll put you to the side right now and I'll walk forward. Yeah. Despite so, that so, fear, so. despite that yeah, um, courage. negative yeah. thought, you know, like yeah. having that courage. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I definitely can think it out a lot better. Mm-hmm. I find mm-hmm. like if I'm overwhelmed with emotion, it's definitely a lot harder just because yeah. that prefrontal cortex is shut off. But totally. <laughs> um, I have not superseded that yet in my life. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it'll come soon, but <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I will not be a superhero that way. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So it, it definitely has helped with like processing and like even gauging like with burnout and mm-hmm. like when those familiar symptoms come up, like what do I, what do I need? And like having more of that early intervention so it doesn't sink mm-hmm. a lot more, but. I don't yeah. know if your therapist is, you could ask her, I guess, but if she's trained in um, parts work, like structural mm. dissociation theory, mm. but I, that's, I really like that, like about the, like different parts of yourself and like there's this one part that's like trying to protect you and just right. acknowledge it like not to push mm-hmm. it away or say get out of here or you know like right, right, take right. up a negative relationship with it but just to say like I see what you're doing thank you and like that's part yeah. of me that yeah. like it comes from a time when that was needed but that's no longer needed yeah. and like you're kind of having this relationship negotiation with these yeah. parts of yourself and yeah like I like that the wiser more mature part of you or like the parent can even like take care of or parent those little parts because they're like I call them little monsters yeah I love it I love it (laughs) yeah they're but they're not like actual threatening monsters Mm -hmm. they're like Mm -hmm. little children who are in like little zip up like monster suits right right I love this (laughs) they're like yeah I'm sorry thank you so much yeah just like looking out for me bud (laughs) yeah yeah come sit up here we're gonna you know yeah, I'm let's sit like, together for yeah, a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're safe. You're safe. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mama gotcha. <laughs> exactly. I love that. That's adorable. But I love that. I love the parts because it's about bringing it in instead of yeah. pushing it away. Yeah. 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 Pushing it away is just like pushing a beach ball into the water and whoop, there and it comes. It and shoots out the other direction. Yeah. Usually comes totally. out as like a projection of yeah. another person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Hit someone else in the face. Look at those yeah. lazy people, or look yeah. at those whatever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's cool. Like that. Well, I definitely feel like I'm starting to realize, like, okay, I'm getting this. I'm getting this. cool. Cool. <laughs> but I also am curious about. I was reflecting on this just the other day since I started doing these podcasts. Was that um, there was a time in my life, and I'm just curious whether you think. I was depressed or not because I I'm just this is just dawning on me Hmm. so I was 20 years old and I went to university for the very first time and this I flunked out and I I literally failed I got kicked out I was I didn't show up to the classes um so I had gone to Peru that summer and I came back and it was just this scramble of you're accepted into university and I hadn't chosen my classes. So I was like the last or the last students, I guess, to probably right. be picking classes. And so all of these afternoon, it was a bachelor of arts. Okay. So I was only I was 18 years old and it was a bachelor of arts. So it was just all of these general, right. general studies kind of things. Yep. 
And so I went to go pick my classes and I knew that I had a, had a sleeping, I called it a sleeping problem. Okay. I just said, I have a sleeping problem. I would fall asleep and I couldn't get up and I was sleeping for like 12, 13 hours a day. Hmm. And I could not wake up. So I was the last person to, or like in that last group, whatever, to people register. to check, register for the classes. Mm -hmm. So I went to go choose afternoon classes and all of them were full for the most part. Right. And the 8 a.m. classes were the ones that the were free. 8 a.m. Oh, classes yes. were all the ones that yeah. were free. So I ended up having to take, I just registered. I was like, okay, I psyched myself up. I'm going to do this. Yeah. I didn't actually really want to be in university at all. I had no career goal. I had no right. reason to be there. I was just forced to be there. Yeah. And I, I was alarmed because I was told you were supposed to be there. Right. And so I was like, okay, you can do this. Just just sign up for the 8 a.m. classes and yeah, yeah. off you go, right? And 9 a.m. starts. They were all 8 a.m., 9 a.m. starts. I wanted to do it, kind of, and I could not get up. So I used to get my sister to spray me in the face with cold water. Wow. She had a water bottle. Right. I used to set my alarm at 4 a.m. I used to live in an apartment building, and right. the neighbors were complaining because the alarm was going off. I literally right. would not wake up. Huh. For, I was, it was supposed to get up at 7, and it, I would start at 4. Right. And the alarm would be going for three hours. And then eventually my sister would hear the alarm from the other right, room. Right. And come and I told her to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spray me in the face with cold <laughs> oh, wow. water. And I still could not wake up. Wow. I was like literally like I couldn't get up. I was so lethargic. I was so I don't a lot of like looking back now, I'm like, well, like this was some big crash. I had a lot of trauma. Right, right, right. This was some sort of epic crash, but I never, ever, ever labeled it as depression. Hmm. But now that I think about it, I'm like, was that depression or was that hmm. just fatigue? Would I not know it was depression because maybe I was so numbed out and it was depression and I was just really that numbed out that I couldn't even tell you that I was depressed? Right. Hmm. Like the nature of depression is that you're... For many, right? Yeah. Maybe to various degrees. If if you're if like I was that numbed out, then would I even mm -hmm. know? Like, right. And like when you were awake and like up, could mm -hmm. you kind of like have that flow of emotion, or or was it really muted? I I think it was muted. Huh. But like a lot of alarm. Like okay. a lot of alarm. Like 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 panic, anxiety, high 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 alarm. Hmm. Um, and like driven like a motor. Mm -hmm. So like every other time in my life, I was like, oh, like a lot of times, like almost mania level of mm. like drive, drive, drive. Right. Like extreme pursuit, overworking. Right. Sometimes even not sleeping. I went through periods of when I was around that, like on either side of that age. Right. Where I would like pull all nighters. Mm. I even had a time where I was three, had three jobs, and one of them I would work night shifts, and I lit, like awake night shifts. Wow. I literally didn't sleep sometimes. Like, I just wow. skipped, like, two days a week or so of sleep. Hmm. Like, really, really, yeah. really way too taxing, stressful things. Yeah. But yeah. then there was this one night <laughs> for, yeah, the whole school year. Eight months, maybe? I, okay. I don't even remember. That's right. the weird thing. 
Right. Like I, I feel like that maybe I was so tuned mm-hmm. out that I don't even really remember. But I remember that couldn't get to class. I remember the spring in the face and like the, all of that. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, was I? Is that depression? Maybe. Like everything just maybe. was like this. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. And there was finals, and I didn't even show up to some of the finals. Wow. <laughs> or I, some of them I showed up. Right. And like didn't do any of the readings or attend any of the classes and got right. like just nothing like zero like right. like an awful mark like right. yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and I was like trying to make a go of it but I just yeah like I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure that out like, yeah. like whether that was depression right right and what does it mean for you to either label it or not label it yeah yeah well I just I feel like I want to say that that was depression and I just like didn't notice it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't have the language. Yeah. But now that I'm like unpacking this and thinking about it, I'm thinking, well, maybe that's what that was, and maybe that's mm-hmm. some people's version of this is that they're so numbed out that they don't even realize that they have something. Mm-hmm. If something is gone, how do you notice something is gone if you're numb? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't have a great. <laughs> repertoire like, for it to go missing was right. You know, that, right. Yeah, I didn't have a. Yeah, there's a lot of defenses, so I was very numbed out as a teenager, actually. Yeah. Extremely, extremely numbed out. I just didn't know. I just didn't know if I would call that depression. Right. Because of my pendulum swinging with anxiety and alarm. Right. And the like, no, like go, go, right. go, 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 crash, go, go, crash. Right. But I wonder if mm-hmm. that gives some insight to how those can work together totally right yeah. right of like that wasn't my experience because it was yeah. more just like that mellowed out like that cap over mm-hmm. what yeah. I could feel yeah. um but it gives that like I don't know and like I have to look more into it and stuff but is that mm-hmm. just like was that how you release things and then your body went into like that I don't know hyper recovery mode yeah. where it's like you're sleeping and like this is all you're doing because you can't do anything else. Yeah, right. I think so. Hmm. I think so. But I also think defenses are a different thing. Like the numo defense is different. Just, I really want to like, I need Gordon. <laughs> Gordon, help. I need Gordon yeah. help to sort this out a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was very, very defended and numbed out. Yeah. 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 Yeah, when I was a teenager, like I couldn't afford to fail. And right. oh, I have a really tragic, horrible example. And I was driving in a truck, um, and uh, out from the ditch comes a mother dog with a trail of baby puppies. Mm-hmm. And I accidentally screamed the mother. I hit her. Right. She just came up right out of the ditch, quick yeah. like that. And I didn't feel Wow. Didn't stop. Didn't think about it. Yeah. I was with my friend, and she was also had a traumatic upbringing as well. And right. Like, the two of us were obsessed with this movie called 187, which most people have seen it. It's, with, it's like this teacher and student battle. It's like one of those kind of gangster okay. sort of movies. Right. Samuel L. Jackson and having mm-hmm. this war with this student of his or whatever. And in the movie, the the student says, stupid gatos. And we literally hit that dog. Gato is cat, but we were just like saying from the movie. 
we hit it, didn't feel anything. We're just like, and I said, stupid gatos. My mm. friend laughed, and that was it. Mm. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you hit a dog and not feel anything? How does it not occur to you to pull over and grab those puppies? Right. Didn't feel anything. Mm. So that's, in my mind, that is the perfect example of defense. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. there is a numb out defense. Yeah. Not depression, it's a numb out defense. Right, right. Right? But this other example of the sleeping, is that depression? Or does the numb out slide into depression? Yeah. yeah. These are the things I'm trying yeah. to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like... <laughs> But is just a question, like, is it really different or is it just a different way of, yeah, um, of that defense, right? Mm-hmm. Or it feels like it needs to be like a longer term thing. Yeah. You know, um, cause like, I definitely think it was a defense for me or like mm-hmm. what I experienced that I called depression Yeah, was a defense for me to say like, slow down. Yes. You know, and like pay attention to what's going on mm-hmm. so that you can address things, yeah. you know, and like, otherwise you're like, you're just going to kill yourself with too much, you yeah. know? Um, exactly. So like, I do think it's a defense of its, of its own sort. Yeah. And maybe it's just like a longer term one. Yeah. You know? And with maybe more symptoms because it's unresolved and things start to pile on, like mm-hmm. like the physical thing, right? Yeah. There's only so long you can be numbed out before you just have no pulse on your ability mm-hmm. to rest accordingly and whatever. Yeah. And then you burn yourself out and then your body sleeps for 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. A day. Or yeah. 15 hours. And you can't get out of bed. You can't wake up. Even if someone's yeah. trying you a soul of water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, and I think the challenging part of depression is how hard it is, how hard it feels to get out of it because everything feels like this mountain to get over. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and without either changing how you view things or like, I don't know, breaking it down in helpful ways whatever that looks like for the individual person. Cause I think it will look different for each person. Yeah. Um, like that's what makes it so challenging is that it just feels so big to get over, mm-hmm. you know? And, mm-hmm. and so then you're like, okay, well, if I can't do that, then I guess I'm stuck here and mm-hmm. sitting mm-hmm. in that, which is maybe where it becomes longer than the stupid gatos and then mm-hmm. move on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Now you have to go watch that movie. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So it is a great movie, I think. Anyway, I don't know. I haven't watched it in a long time. It might be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> We've all experienced those where we're like, this is a great movie. Oh my gosh, I know more now. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> this is not good anymore. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah so, so I'm, oh, yeah. I'm really good trying question, to figure though. this out. I'm really trying to figure mm-hmm. this out. Yeah, I really need boards, actually. <laughs> Nice. He will help me sort it yes. out. Gordon, please just provide me therapy. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, I just need him to just parse those few things out. And yeah, help me yeah. figure it out. But yeah, I do realize I know more about depression, at least from my own framework and how I want to understand it mm-hmm. than I thought I did. It's mm-hmm. less of a mystery because it's all just sort of all connected and it's all mm-hmm. part of everything, right? 
yeah, I am interested to hear how people's experiences are in the, you know, mm-hmm. the metaphors of book club, where they're so genius. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what it feels like. Yeah. By yeah. the way, do you have a metaphor that, like, you, even off the top of your head, like, how would you say it feels like when you're in that state? I wonder if you gave one already. Truly, I think it is that one where, like, that cap was chopped off of, like, being able to get to those highs. Mm-hmm. And, like, I could feel just as low of lows, but mm-hmm. that wavelength of feeling was, that top part was chopped off, and mm-hmm. I hit this cap, and mm-hmm. so, like, I could get maybe slightly over the line and be like, okay, yeah, like, no, I'm feeling, I'm feeling okay today, and, like, good things are happening in my life, I could recognize that, but, yeah, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't feel like it would feel if I didn't have that cap just, like, um, right. I don't know. Right capping yeah you know so if you were like looking at this amazing mind-blowing sunset you'd be like okay i feel a little bit something yeah yeah i should feel more Mm -hmm. elated looking at this yeah or something like that yeah exactly yeah but exactly but yet the down things felt like yeah yeah worse and more like things rolled off your back less easily i guess maybe more that i just spent more time in that Uh, so like it didn't necessarily get deeper although maybe at certain times it did but I feel like I always say that in my life I'm like this is the worst thing (laughs) but it's only because it's in the present right and it's not in the past where it's like okay yeah I I got through that but like it it was more like just the amount of time spent in that in that lower half and then I would um compare the things that I was seeing and feeling and like those things that I thought should go kind of above that line Mm -hmm. I would compare those to those things that I had felt in a time before right right right. you know right, like right. and I very much identified things as like before the depression and after the depression right you right, know right, right, and right, so right. um I probably like I don't know had these kind of like ways of framing it in my mind that kept me stuck sometimes right, when right, 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 right. if I could have opened up my view a bit more it could have changed but but I also like I don't know I feel like we're at the places we're at for a reason and mm-hmm. so I didn't need to be somewhere else in that moment either yeah you know um yeah and it definitely it definitely helped me become more comfortable sitting in darkness with others mm-hmm. right yeah, which like for you yeah yeah that's great everyone needs that yes I I agree <laughs> they're going to be helping in the health and profession yeah. anyway yeah 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 sitting and not fixing Yes. you know because sometimes there isn't a fix to it yeah um and so I think maybe that maybe going back 12 questions mm-hmm. that was part of my healing process too is finding meaning in it which mm-hmm. is very much part of like the grief process right because yeah I even had to grieve the fact that I went through that depression yes you yes. know yes. of like that lost time lost opportunities lost yeah um like missed things of like those missed emotions of those positive things going on, you know, like Mm -hmm. all of that, I had to work through that and find meaning Mm -hmm. of like, how did this, how did this change me? And, and how can I take positive things from this experience that really just felt awful? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. Being able to make meaning and say, this was an extremely useful journey. Yeah. Yeah. And now I have this other new capacity or, yeah, yeah, through medicine that I can offer others, mm-hmm. but not forcing others to get into that too early. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> that meaning making. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, 
you know, that's but awesome. that's where you get to that toxic positivity piece. Yes, um, exactly. If I'm you're trying to rush big through that fan process. Of toxic positivity. <laughs> I'm like, we are not making any lemonade here. <laughs> no. Anti lemonade stand. <laughs> we just have the lemons. Drink the lemon. <laughs> We're going to squirt the lemons in, in our your eyes. eyes. <laughs> yes. They're going to feel the pain. <laughs> We're going to let it burn and we're going to relish in it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll sit in the pain, okay? I love it. I need a sign that says no lemonades for sale. <laughs> and only a select few people will know exactly what that means. They're going to be like, oh, why, why is that there? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it'll be great. Well, Those of us in the club will know. <laughs> yeah, yes, the anti-lemonade club. Yeah. Yeah, love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah.